This is Betty. I'm the witch from the north. And I'm Lancel, the island witch. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Rosemary, Rosemary by the Bucketful. Bucket Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Rosemary by the Bucketful. Today we have a uh, special episode for you, uh, and we have two special guests, which which Lancel will introduce in just a moment. We're going to be talking about witchcraft and social media and some of the pros and cons. So today we have two special guests. First up is Georgina. You might know her as Dot Darling on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and on her podcast, Occultism with a Side of Salt. Hi, uh, I'm Georgina Rose. I go by Dot Darling on social media, and I'm on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Patreon. I'm on most platforms, uh, and I also host the podcast Occultism with a Side of Salt. Uh, I'm a Thelemite and a ceremonial practitioner. I've been practicing for a good number of years, and I've been creating content online that is both educational and I do a lot of commentary on the issues in the community in my podcast. Next up is Marshall. You might know him as Witch of Southern Light from Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and his Etsy. Uh, Hi, I'm Marshall. I am the Witch of Southern Light on TikTok and on Instagram. I'm a little bit newer actually to social media because I've I've had kind of a windy road in my path of witchcraft. I practiced when I was much younger and then I stopped and I picked it back up again. and, And now I'm finding there are so many new doors that honestly, meeting so many of some some of you guys on on social media has kind of opened these doors so i'm an eclectic witch i like to pull from all over the place uh uh things that really inspire me in my craft and uh, i'm i'm looking forward to chatting with you guys and learning more um so we have some points that we'd like to discuss uh under the realm of or under the umbrella of uh, witchcraft and social media so one of the first ones i think that we'll start off with is um aesthetic witchcraft because i think feel like that's a big one in um like social media online um so for me i have a few points that i'd like to talk about i think the whole aesthetic witchcraft ties into um capitalism it also ties into um, there's a lot of new age focus and um, it also can be very uh, eurocentric or whitewashed Lancel I know that you brought this topic up so did you want to start on one of those or sure I think as content creators since we post on image-based platforms we need to be aesthetic to be picked up in a way and the problem with that is videos or posts which have misinformation and are aesthetic are still picked up. I think that honestly makes sense. Um, I think that it's a sad reflection, but in reality, people are much more likely to click on a video that is engaging and has pretty aesthetics than the most educational occult videos on YouTube are largely people lecturing in front of a conference and they're shot on a potato and there, if you're a new practitioner, you're not going to gravitate to a video that's low quality. You're going to gravitate to one that's pretty, that has a fancy title. And I think that that's just kind of how marketing works. I think the issue is, is these people come in who are very aesthetically driven, very good at photography, very good at the arts, and they're very good at like the social media stuff. And so they have that expertise that people who are like seasoned occultists don't necessarily have because to be a good occultist you don't need to know marketing or anything that would succeed in the algorithms and so that's really where i think that discrepancy comes from um yeah it's very interesting i think that's probably one of the reasons why witch talk on tiktok took off so so quickly it grew so vast because it was a 60 second or less instant gratification sparkly shiny glittery which is totally fine if that's your aesthetic if that's what you want your practice to look like um but it's attractive and an hour-long lecture on youtube about lots of information at someone sitting at a desk may be super informative but it's not going to entice you to learn more it's not going to it's not going to be the amuse-bouge to the rest of the actual entree um i I myself got my start in social media on TikTok. So I remember looking around and seeing a lot of the things that were sparkly and pretty and cute. 
I remember watching these like little spell jar videos and I'm like, okay, so, so now what do you do with it? I mean, <laughs> like these things are sometimes really great, but sometimes the actual practical aspect of this beautiful video is so lacking in information. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I kind of moved over Instagram. I can put so much more content in the caption. I can change the way that I'm getting this information across while also getting something stimulating to visualize. Also, it's not like this draw towards more like cutesy or glamorized or kind of exciting practice just began on social media. I think a lot of us talk about this like aesthetic witch or this like fluffy witchcraft is like something that began with Instagram. Like look back at the 90s, people were shaming young women in the 90s for reading the Silver Ravenwolf books, right? Like it's not like this began on social media, it just took a new level and with the sort of capitalism marketing aspect that's thrown into social media with a lot of people on social media selling products, it just increased it. But it's not like this began on social media, nor is this a new phenomenon. I think it's just more in our face than it was, but I, I find it also just generally hypocritical when people who began with, like, say, Silver Ravenwolf really shame social media practitioners. It's just a continuation of a cycle. People kind of always will scoff at what is younger than them. And while, yes, the social media stuff definitely inspires people to buy a ton and think their practice needs to be really pretty all the time, I don't think we should just blame it on social media. I think it's just a natural human tendency, and it's been going on for much longer. And I am a, a witch whose first book was Raven Buckland, and the next three books were all Silver Raven Wolf. So I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> um, I agree with both of uh, both of you and what you said. Um, I I think it's uh, a point that you had made, Marshall, was the instant gratification, and that's something that I noticed because I am also new, newer to uh, social media and the online community. Um, is that instant gratification that a lot of people, especially newer practitioners, um, lean in towards because uh, the online space can be somewhat overwhelming, especially in the beginning. And so trying to get as much information as quickly as possible seems to be something that they uh, gear, uh, gear towards, uh, so to speak. So that instant gratification that the online platform can provide is something that um, you'll see a lot of. I also agree with this. I think most people prefer clicky, like, aesthetic videos with b-roll over some talk i think it's just like human nature especially if it's on image-based platforms you know it's funny actually when i look back when i first started instagram you know if hashtags i mean if we're going to talk about if we're going to talk about instagram and, and social media witchcraft, hashtags have become really important if you actually want some of your content to get out there. You have to hit a lot of specific niche markets. And, and one of those that I used to always use was hashtag witchy aesthetic. Mm. And it's funny, I mean, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. I am a, I've become a content creator um, and it's something that I kind of stumbled into and really kind of enjoyed, so I let it kind of take off and I, I had to learn things really quickly but one of the things I noticed is if you don't have certain hashtags you're just not going to reach enough people who are going to actually see your content so if you don't reach enough people the way that these algorithms work they're just going to slowly start to release your stuff less and less you're not important you're not actually reaching an audience so I, I as a creator kind of felt locked into this idea if I don't make it aesthetic enough if I don't say just the right thing in a way, it's not going to reach enough audience. And this information is going to go nowhere. It's just going to go flat. Um, so I don't know. Hashtags have become helpful in social media. I agree. Um, and that's something that um, I find, like if you're going to be um, a practitioner online and uh, with the intent to maybe educate other people, um, you almost have to do... Um, multiple jobs in order to reach the most amount of people if that is your goal is to um to educate uh recently i just became part of discord and I, until recently i didn't even know that that existed so that is a different element to the online um community for me and i'm really enjoying it um but again it's more about conversing with other people and the information that you receive versus the aesthetic proportion of it um, and I think I, I, that was a little bit off topic from what you said, Marshall, but um, there's that um, 
polarization between like Instagram and where people would start out maybe on their journey. And then once they move further into it, um, not leaving Instagram, but finding different avenues for um, absorbing the information and, and, and reaching out to uh, more people. I was inspired by Georgina and Temperance to actually kind of open up my own uh, Twitter account, which I closed within one day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there's a lot of great information out there and I could not stay on top of all of the tweets. I mean, it's enough to do everything. So my hat's off to you guys because that's so much attention. That's so much, um, that's a lot of yourself to give. So my hat's off to all of you that do that. But social media creation takes a lot of time. It, it, it does. It becomes its own full job for people after a certain point, even if they're not making a full income. I think we have this, like, misconception in the occult community that, like, online creators are rich or something, or that we're not normal people. Uh, it's, it's just a job, really, is what it comes down to. And as you mentioned, you need to do more to just educate. When you're doing this type of stuff, to be able to educate and actually reach people and people to actually watch it, you have to be your own videographer. You have to be your own photographer. You have to be your own graphic designer. You have to be your own, like accountants when it comes to like making income and your own like like bookings like you have to do all this stuff that is beyond the skills of just being a good occultist it's it's a ton once you get beyond kind of the beginning phases of it also i think when we talk about hashtags and niching down i think it's somewhat obvious that people need to niche down because like with something like hashtag cottagecore someone's gonna have an idea of what that thing looks like Absolutely. Like my hashtags and Georgina's hashtags are going to look very different from each other because we're two different sides of, of, of the, the occult uh, or, or practitioner craft-based world. Yes, absolutely. And I think that that is something that um, is important for people to realize as well is um, like when you're searching for information, there are going to be different avenues that you can uh, that you can take. And just by, you know, searching up hashtags, it's not going to be the only thing that you should do in order to get the information that you that you require to move further in your craft. I think social media in general, and this is what I've said, and I think a video or two of mine it's a springboard, right? If you want to learn a topic, social media is where you can get a taste of what you want to learn about. You see a beginning video for 15 minutes because nobody can explain a full concept in all its nuance in 15 minutes, unless it's something as basic as like moon water. Like you're not going to get a nuanced, super depth in explanation of anything, even within a couple videos or even in one or two books. And so what social media, especially platforms like Instagram or TikTok, where you have very limited space, especially like Twitter, like all this stuff, it's a springboard. It's what you look at first and you're like, oh, this topic really interests me. Or if you want more context on something you're struggling with when you're reading, you shouldn't be getting all your information from social media creators. That's a huge pitfall. And I, I know a lot of people do that. Like I know a lot of people do not read books. They just get their information from social media creators. And that's the importance of having good creators. But social media in general, ideally should be where you get inspiration to dive deeper it should be that surface level absolutely I, I think that there's the issue with misinformation when you see a lot of um, practitioners only getting their information from social media and not anywhere else as you said right so there's that uh, perpetuation of um, incorrect information or misinformation um, and then it's just further uh, pushed out there by these uh, practitioners who gather their information from online and then spread that information as if it is law or like the only way to do something. And I think that goes into as well. Um, sorry, Lancel, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Um, I was just going to say, I go. Uh, I think that goes into as well as people sharing UPG as um, on their platforms as the only way to do things. And then other practitioners seeing that, especially new beginners or new practitioners and taking that um, and applying it to their craft when there is a plethora of more resources, information for them to pull from. But because they haven't gone further than the surface, um, they're just almost limiting their craft to that. Also, it's something that I see newer practitioners going to these big content creators and asking them to teach them everything in their DMs. Which, how is that even like... 
like one content creator isn't gonna know everything about that tradition and they also have a bias and I doubt that they're gonna spend their time teaching you everything about it yeah you should not look for a mentor just based on who has a following on social media that's not a good approach because having a good like like follower numbers and being a great practitioner are not necessarily correlated like perfectly a lot of the top creators are great practitioners i know some who are very well researched who do a lot of work but not all of them are and just because you like someone's instagram post does not mean you're gonna like them as a mentor if you want to get a mentor you should seek out like someone who has been practicing for like years and years and years because the majority of people who are really successful on social media are younger it's largely people in like mid-20s to mid-30s that are like the top creators in the occult community and so yeah you should i i think i think if you're gonna find a mentor uh finding one that is not like i think social media in general even if they're not an influencer or whatever is probably not the best way to find a mentor i agree with that me and marshall were talking uh prior to um, this meeting and we were talking about I'm not gonna name the person but they had a substantial following and that they were saying to crush up crystals and put them in plants and spells like if you're spreading misinformation your follower number doesn't really matter it's not gonna validate that misinformation I've noticed that there are times that I see certain videos and I will try to kindly address it um, I, I, here we go. I, on TikTok, I saw so many different people putting moon water in, in spell jars and different types of things with organic material, dried, dried herbs. And the thing is, is like, that's going to rot. Like that's going to putrefy. Um, it's going to stink probably. <laughs> if you're just going to go bury it in the ground, that's great. But I was noticing just a lot of things that just to me made they didn't make sense in reality, let alone just in witchcraft. So I made a couple of videos pointing out, like, stop putting moon water in your spell jars. They're going to rot your ingredients. It'll putrefy. They're going to mold. Um, I don't know if mold is what you want for your spell. <laughs> but but if, it's, if it's not something you want, and then, of course, the question's back, well, what should I use? And I'm like, you don't you don't have to use anything. I can tell there's this, this desperate need for knowledge of, well, if I can't use moon water, what can I use? And I kind of want to turn around the way that, that social media is teaching. I don't want you to get all your answers from it. I love the way Georgina, you said it as a springboard. Um, because the next step should be either research or intuition. I think, um, if, if you don't know what to put besides moon water, maybe you don't need moon water. Maybe everything else is just fine. Um, people were asking moon spirits, like, so, so should I put alcohol into the moon? I mean, you can totally do that. Why not? Uh, Florida water. Great. You know, I think this is all, these are all wonderful things, but I noticed that there was a panic of if I can't use moon water, what can I use? And that alone told me there's a non-information out have to use certain things. And you know, the more we research, the more we understand, you know, I've been talking about Gemma Gary's books. She lives out in, in West Country, England. I'm here in Texas. No, a lot of the ingredients may not be the same, but that's okay because that's going to shift depending on where you are on the planet. Well, that's kind of the point of folk practice, right? It's to use what's around you. And because of the publication of, of witchcraft books and social media, and I had a conversation on an upcoming episode of OWAS about this, or maybe it's the one that just came out. I'm not sure. One of the ones that you guys will be able to hear uh, is that what happened... Is the one that came out. It's about budget witchcraft, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we talked about how really what it's become is you're using like the Betty Crocker ritual book. You're copying things verbatim rather than learning the mechanics. You see these lists online. And when I was a new practitioner, I totally followed these, which, by the way, following recipes is fine, but you should also be learning why things work. And I think a lot of these kind of TikTok stuff, like, they don't really explain why you're doing what you're doing, which is fine if you're a more experienced practitioner. Like, I write this type of stuff for my patrons all the time. I like I write little, like, ritual recipes for them, though they have, like, some understanding. So they get, like, you can make substitutions and whatnot. But I think people just because of this this media and the publication of books, they think that you have to follow everything verbatim rather than 
subbing for what you have around you or what works best for your actual individual practice. I think that that's a good point um, with the rise of uh, social media and witchcraft or um, being a practitioner, being more mainstream, um, you're seeing like people not using their own intuition and not following their own intuition or questioning their own intuition when it comes to doing these sorts of things and finding substitutions and so forth. And like you just said, thinking that they have to stick to exactly what someone else do, does and, um, and it's not really their own craft anymore. I get asked a lot about um, what's the best spell book? What spell books should I buy? And I'd actually much rather suggest books that teach you practices, teach you theory, teach you ideas, because then you can make your own spells. If you're, if you're a slave to a, a, a singular book of instructions, then, then all of a sudden, you know, now you've idolized this singular book and it really should come from you, in my opinion. Yeah, and I suggest looking at these pre-written stuff for inspiration. Because if you just have a book of theory and you don't see any other workings that other people have done and you just see why things work, you may not know how to actually construct it. So I think these are great for inspiration, but it's when they become the first thing you read and the only thing you read that it becomes problematic. As much as I love old style conjure and backwards, I am not in Appalachia. I am in Europe. As much as I love those books, those books aren't going to be as much as a world of information as a foraging guide. They might teach me how to apply stuff, but a foraging guide might be more helpful for me. And that's the case. Hey, also, you're in Europe. You can yeah. at least get real mandrake. <laughs> it sadly doesn't grow here. No, you're lucky because all these books are written from Europeans. So you have more access to stuff. You just can't use the like three American books. Okay, fine. You might have caught me off guard with this one, but like, where am I going to get like Bloodroot? Oh, I got a blood root on Etsy. <laughs> okay, so um, we already talked about how what aesthetic craft is and how follower numbers don't really matter and misinformation. Now, something that correlates with misinformation, I think, would be cultural appropriation and how we are seeing white people on Instagram specifically more European selling white sage. The cultural appropriation is when someone decides to take bits and pieces from another culture without understanding the, the cultural significance or meaning of what is being appropriated. So as you said, like uh, sage and smudging is something that's often referred to in the community. Um, and that's an actual like sacred practice from the indigenous community. And there's a difference. I think it should be discussed too. There's a difference between just cultural appropriation and closed practices. So sometimes people kind of get those those mixed up, like we can't use this because it's a closed practice. And I'm like, hold on, some things are more, you need to understand the culture, you need to be either invited or be taught from a known source. Um, and sometimes it's, this is not for you. This is specifically a religious practice or a generational um, um, practice or of craft that is not for you specifically. There's nothing that you really probably should be taking from it or even know about it in general unless you saw it where you shouldn't have in a movie or whatnot but um i think knowing the difference between those two is being with is definitely a good place to start uh because i get asked a lot of times like if i make if i make a, a sweet jar or a sour jar am i am i stealing from a closed practice am i cultural appropriation and you know a lot of like sweet and sour jars themselves have become inspirations the way spell jars have kind of grown uh, over the past few years. And it's interesting because that's actually a really mixed question. You know, sweet and sour jars come from hoodoo and voodoo practices, but voodoo itself technically is a closed practice, religious spirituality, and, and hoodoo is not. So people are kind of confused about where that blurred line becomes. Um, what do you guys think about that? I mean, let's be real. A lot of online practice and spiritual practice that we see trendy in our community is a cross between Wicca and Hoodoo. That's what it is. Like, you see these lemon hexes, you see the sour jars. Like, it's, it's very blatantly a cross between um, Hoodoo and Wicca. And it's, it's really, really interesting because you see these people practicing this, where they're very obviously using Hoodoo elements in their workings, and then we'll get really upset when people read tarot, which isn't actually a closed practice at all. That's a misconception. And so it becomes very, very hypocritical, right? It just becomes hypocrisy. 
so fast. Also, I think there's a line between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation. Yeah, I mean, you can, certain cultures, you can use things from them and it's okay. We're not only limited to our DNA, right? We're just not. That's what neo-Volkish practitioners push. That's the people who are saying you have to be white to be Norse pagan are pushing, right? And it's, it's not you're only locked to your DNA. The reason why certain practices are considered cultural appropriation is because of a history of oppression. It's not just because they're a different culture. There's a very specific reason. And I think people forget that like cultural appropriation has a meaning because it has to do with people who have previously oppressed you or genocided you then selling your white sage, right? Because we genocided the Native Americans and then people who genocided them are selling their religious products for profit. That's why it's a problem. It's not simply because it's a different culture. It's a much more nuanced issue. And I think people have gotten it in their heads that you have to follow only your bloodline, which I think is a very dangerous, slippery slope to fall down and ignores the context of why people have an issue with cultural appropriation to begin with. That's an interesting point, too, because you see uh, a rise in people going towards um, getting those, you know, DNA tests that tell them where their, yeah, tell them where their bloodlines come from. And then thinking that that gives them um, a segue or a right to talk on behalf of that, uh, that culture or that race and um, to implement certain things into their practice that maybe they um, don't have uh, the right to, I suppose. And just because you're the DNA of something, if it's a closed practice, you still have to be initiated. I'm commonly seeing that people are taking DNA tests and finding out they're like 10% Native American. And you just start seeing them posting about Native American stuff and start wearing all these Native American jewelry and stuff. 10% Native American is different than being raised in that culture or finding your roots in that culture. Yeah, that's my thoughts on that. Well, what do you think about people finding that's in their heritage they didn't know about and then purchasing, say, Native American jewelry from that tribe to to maybe in some way, not give back, that sounds horrible, but more so uh, to participate, to not take from, but to uh, pay homage to. Um, I know there are some, some really wonderful tribes. I actually have a list on my... Uh, link tree of how you can purchase Native American online. Um, I have absolutely zero, no Native American blood in me whatsoever. I, I did that 23andMe test. But where I live in Texas, I have no, I have no blood bond to this land besides the fact that I was born in this area. You know, my entire heritage goes back to more Northwest European and while I'm learning about my heritage when it comes to, to magic from the place that my heritage comes from, I was born here. So it's kind of an interesting idea. I have no connection to the Native American land, but I still want to honor it. You know, I learned of the Kikapu tribe. I wanted to learn some of their history. Um, I wanted to honor them in a way because I reside on their land. But, you know, it's interesting. A lot of other European practitioners are people who are practicing where their family has kind of lived for possibly centuries, they have so much more connection to that land. And I'm kind of learning to kind of uh, toe the line between the land that I am born into, but not of bloodline and the bloodline that I come from, but don't live on. I think that's fine. I mean, the issue with it is that people were capitalizing on a group they oppressed. I think if they're supporting the actual group, I mean, that's just giving money to the people who need it. I don't really think that's an issue. Like I've seen, I've seen online the idea that if you're gifted it, it's fine. Uh, the whole point is just to support ethical harvesting and the people who actually are in need of selling it. So if you're partially from a culture and you're buying it from the people, I mean, you're financially supporting them. You're financially supporting their culture recovering. I don't really think that's an issue. I think saying if you're like 50%, you can't, and you can't support these businesses is actually hurting their culture because they're losing sales. You brought up a really good point that, that definitely should be made. If someone just finds out after their whole life that they're 10% Native American and all of a sudden they want to speak for all of the Native American community, on that point, I definitely can understand that's... Yeah, that's, that's what I'm trying to get to. <laughs> I'm not saying that you can't really support them. I'm trying to say that just because you have 10% Native American or X amount, it doesn't mean... That's, you have every right to their culture 
and you're like speaking for them and you're representative of that culture now. Yeah, yeah. And and go, going back to um, the point where you said, Marshall, um, about supporting um, those tribes when you're purchasing certain things that come from like the indigenous um, uh, community, um, I think that that's important, even if you don't have heritage in there. Like if you are planning to use um, sage, for instance, don't go and buy it from urban outfitters, like buy it from, you know what I mean? <laughs> like go and buy it and support uh, an indigenous tribe. Also with dream catchers, I'm tired of seeing people put them on their cars. Yeah, who's sleeping when they're driving? Well, I'm sure people are going to be listening to this and they're going to be wondering, is a dream catcher considered cultural appropriation? Is it inappropriate to have in your home? Um, I have, have heard a lot of mixed responses on that. Um, what do you guys think? <laughs> we don't know. That's, I think that's the question. Maybe when people are listening to this, they could, they could let some of us know. I would love to hear from the Indigenous community, what are your thoughts on dream catchers? Obviously, this is something that I think probably has been appropriated into a huge part, part of culture. I mean, it's, it's sold at Urban Outfitters. It's, it's, it's sold at Earthbound. Um, it's been capitalized on. Um, in the mail, an organization mailed me a dream catcher uh, to raise money for a, a fundraiser. And it was interesting because I kind of thought, am I supposed to have this? Should I hang it up? Should I gift it to someone? I felt, I don't think a couple of years ago, I would have had this type of, of, of thought process, but here I am now trying to be a lot more, not just sensitive, but realistic and, and appropriate and um, respectful. I think that's a good point to make too. Like if you were unsure, um, you know, prior to going out and, and purchasing something like a dream catcher, um, maybe do a little bit more research. I think that that's kind of a starting point. Like if you don't have the answers yourself, do a little bit of research. If you have the opportunity, reach out to the Indigenous community and ask their thoughts on it. And again, going back to just, you know, supporting them. Um, and if you know somebody local to you, like a local tribe or even just uh, the Indigenous community and, and supporting them by buying the dream catcher from them. I think supporting and owning Native American dream catchers is different than buying like a cheap plastic one that you just decorate with. Um, I think it's okay if Native Americans made it or you've been gifted. I know that Betty was at a store and she showed off that they're made by Native Americans. I think it's something proud somewhat. I'm not a Native American, I'm just like speaking from my opinion. I think buying ethically and knowing its history is different than buying a plastic one that you're just going to put in your car to decorate. I agree with that. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the destigmatization de um, and the community that comes with uh, being online as a practitioner. Um, so let's maybe go around and see what uh, your guys' thoughts are on that topic. I think destigmatization is extremely important. Coming from Philema, uh, we don't get the best rap in the media. We definitely didn't in the past. Um, there's a reason why Jack Parsons was questioned by the government a lot and why during the fascist rise in Italy, the Philemic commune there had to flee the country or risk death. Like, it's not, it's not good for us in the media. Uh, there's there's a lot of misconceptions flying around, and I think the occult... I don't think everyone is meant to be an occultist. I think it's not for everyone. But I think us not being seen as, like, baby-eating devil worshippers is probably a good thing. Uh, considering, like... Like, even the fact that we're able to have social media is kind of crazy, considering, like, 200 years ago we would have all been burnt alive. Like, that's kind of beautiful, you know? I, I totally support destigmatization. I think it's really, really important. I agree. And I think that that's one of the benefits of becoming more open and having this platform to be able to share our experiences and our practices and connect with other people online is to be able to provide that destigmatization and educate people on something that otherwise they wouldn't have known. On the note of 200 years ago, the thing is that trials are still happening. People are still being killed for mass hysteria. 
I think it's a privilege for us to be able to post um, on our likings and not be blamed that um, we're going to hell. It's something that's still happening in developing countries. I think it's a pr um, privilege for us to be able to post stuff like this without getting major backlash. Oh, absolutely. The fact that we're able to complain because teens on TikTok aren't reading books and are doing it for the aesthetic, just the fact that people are doing this for the aesthetic is so crazy, right? When we look back at our history, because it was even just 200 years ago, you know? Let me tell you, people would not be doing it for the aesthetic. It's it's amazing progress, really. Like, like I feel like it, we're, like I get really annoyed by the aesthetic stuff, right? And teens on TikTok claiming they've hexed the moon or whatever. It annoys me. It grinds my gears. But I really think it's a very... I think we're very lucky that that's our problem. I think that's that's a privilege and a, a good thing. You know, it's funny. I like to um, sometimes... I, do, I don't do book reviews uh, like Georgina does, but I do more like uh, short either reels or TikToks, and we'll talk more about them in the caption. Um, but it's interesting, I recently just this morning put out a video about The Devil's Dozen. It's Gemma Gary's book on the 13 craft rights of the old one. And there was definitely not some pushback, but some questions. You know, I think just saying that word scares people. Um, to be honest, I'm having to get over my own personal stigma about the word devil because to me, my entire life, it was associated with just one thing, and that was Satan. Um, to understand it as a completely different idea and not only understand it myself, but then put it out on my media, not only, I mean, we gotta be honest here, we're kind of exposing ourselves here a little bit to the public. Um, we're putting our own ideas and thoughts out there and uh, accepting the fact that not only may we get ridiculed, we may be possibly pushing people, I mean, people are gonna see this and be like, whoa, that's witchcraft, I don't want that. I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. I got a couple people just commenting right off the bat, that looks really scary to me. Or like, could you explain the old one before I Google it? I don't want to attract anything. And I'm like, so you're afraid to even Google the words, the old one? And I didn't want to say this, but like my first thought was, if you're afraid to even Google that, I'm not sure if 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 witchcraft or or a cult may, may be for you because we Google, you don't want to see my Google history. <laughs> <laughs> I just linked the Google link. Well, I think a lot of things is to make the occult more accepted. For a very long time, people denied that darker practices existed. Uh, you see it if you watch any sort of witch misconception video. The thing, it has nothing to do with the devil comes up. With Which I will say 99% of practitioners don't deal with that. But that 1% still exists. I think if you're talking about a specific practice, you can totally bring that up. But... Yeah, I mean, people do things that are very, very kind of out there to someone who was raised Abrahamically. And I don't think we should shun that. I think we should be honest that it exists, um, even if it is maybe not the best optics. I mean, we're getting so much acceptance now. I think it's fine for us to be honest and bring up the darker sides of certain people's practices. Yeah, it's truly a spectrum. You can't really have darkness without light. I'm not saying black and white, it's a spectrum. You can't have one without the other. Right, I think, yeah, I do too. And I think that that is important, as you said, Georgina, to, to express both sides of it and make people aware that it's not just going to be, you know, butterflies and rainbows and all of this happy stuff and this, you know, self-growth uh, self journey. Like, there's going to be a lot of dark stuff, depending on what your practice is and your tradition is, but also um, just going... And my practice personally has been a lot of uh, like self-growth in the beginning and, and, and shadow work. And so even just digging into that uh, and the repressed uh, parts of ourselves that maybe society told us was not acceptable, especially coming from more of an Abrahamic background with uh, with my family's uh, religion. Um, I think it's it's important as content creators and, and uh, people who are online to share those aspects with somebody who may be new or not as familiar with them. Um, with Georgina here, I can ask her with Sephiroth this is, which is the one that makes you naive again? Um, I mean, that's, I think what you're, okay, okay, I think I get where you're going. 
Uh, the reason why the pillar of severity has to exist is to give form to the pillar of mercy, which is endless growth. To have that evenness, the pillar of mercy, the sephirots associated with that are endless growing, and then the pillar of severity gives it form and makes it able for us to exist. So yeah, like that. that is a very literal description of it. And then through that, the forming... The endless growth in the form of the severity, you get the pillar of balance in the center, which are the child of the masculine and feminine principles, um, respectively. So yeah, that's a very literal description of balance. I agree. Um, I also wanted to talk about, with being online and um, especially being someone who is newer, you know, there's a lot of uh, self-imposed expectations um, when we're starting out because there is so much to learn like there's that feeling of you know not knowing enough or playing catch up or um there is that that side of uh of being online and um expecting to be or comparing your craft sorry that's where I was going with it comparing your craft to somebody else's craft (laughs) sorry guys that happens a lot with me Um, and I wanted to, I know that Georgina, you had spoke about this in one of your uh, podcasts before um, with uh, newer practitioners and um, trying to compare their path to somebody who is more experienced than them or uh, putting self-imposed expectations to be just as advanced or on the same um, level as somebody who has been practicing much longer. Um, I think that that needs to be addressed as being online. Yeah, I mean, when you're online, you're very literally being compared to everyone around you. Your follower count, your likes, like those are those are direct comparisons to other people. And I think it's really easy to kind of exacerbate that imposter syndrome feeling. Uh, the truth is that it never goes away. You're always going to see practitioners that are more experienced than you. You're always going to read something that feels above your head. That imposter syndrome never goes away and you will never know everything. None of us ever will. We just won't. That's the reality. And social media just exacerbates it uh, because you see it on your feet all the time. You see people, because people project their best self onto social media. There is a rise of more authenticity over the past few years, but overall, like, social media is the best side of someone. And so it's it's really easy to make that mental kind of imposter syndrome that we all sort of deal with just, just way, way worse. And that can be quite unhealthy. Yeah, Lance and I actually, we were talking about um, earlier today, just funny enough, we don't actually share a lot of our personal practices, things that we do in private on our social media. Um, we're putting out either general information, bits and pieces of personal information, or a combination of, um, I don't think any of us have ever really gone so far as to record ourselves actually doing spell work, at least not that I've, I've noticed, um, but it's interesting because we're all putting either demonstrations and well, I know I'm putting demonstrations and videos, um, things look a very specific and curated way because it's, it's an example, it's a demonstration. Um, it's not the actual act of doing. You don't see all of the inspired moments of gnosis that happen. You don't see some of the silly things that we may do. Um, I mean, I just think that I've noticed more and more that some people even have fake book of shadows or, or, or journals that are more like scribble notes. They're not even the real book that they're showing. Um, I know I have two different ones, one that's more in my journal, one that's more in my big, my big tome. Uh, and even what's written in that is, is, is the base of the recipe. It's not the actual act of, of casting. Also, when we talk about this, there are two main reasons because one of them would be, if you're going to film everything, what's the point of doing anything besides for content? A demonstration is different than casting something literally. The main point of that working would be just for social media. Also, some practices are going to be more aesthetically pleasing, quote-unquote, than some other practices, like spell jars are obviously going to be more appealing than making tea with intention. Yeah, I also agree. Um, And I think that um, to go on your note, Marshall, um, and I suppose Georgina as well, is that, you know, a lot of the times when you're comparing your practice or yourself to somebody else's, there's no consideration for um, their personal path and their uh, 
life circumstances or situations that have brought them to where they are currently um, in their practice. I would I would completely agree with that. Um, I have noticed that the whole, like I said, the whole first reason that I actually got on TikTok and started doing witch talks in the first place was because I was seeing a lot of content that either I either full-on didn't like at all because it was misinformation or because it wasn't giving enough information. Um, I would see someone doing something and I'd be like, well, what is that? Well, what did you just put in there? Well, what is it? I know it's a cool song. I know it looked cool, but like, why did you do that? Well, what was that? And um, I kind of was feeling like, well, I'm going to start making these. And then when I got over to uh, uh, Instagram and I started seeing all this other type of content, it was really, really amazing because then I started, I mean, we're content creators. We're probably going to all riff off of each other some way. We're going to bounce. We're going we're gonna to create this type of network. And, you know, my mind started to shift a little bit more too. I was making less just videos more actual long uh, uh, captions. And um, I've noticed that that evolves the same way that our craft does. So if you are newer, or if you've been doing it for a long time, don't always trust that what you're seeing on someone else's page is exactly what that spell ends up looking like when they actually perform it. Um, don't expect a, a, an exact recipe to work if you're in a whole nother part of the world that doesn't even have those ingredients, you know? I think that becomes a big comparison problem in this community because so many other practices and, and scientific methods all look the same. You get the same recipe by using the same ingredients, by saying the same things. And that's not the case with this. It's not the case with, with, with the cult, with witchcraft, with magic. In the end, we never know what someone's doing in private. We will never fully know someone else's entire practice, even if you do group workings together in person, even if you talk all the time. Really, a lot of this happens alone and solitarily with the divine, so we really can't know what other people are doing truly. We can only know a sliver of it. Uh, I'm fairly new to the whole online community, um, going further than just Instagram, like with Discord and stuff. Um, I know that, for one, the the benefit for me has been just exposure to more content, uh, more uh, information that maybe if I hadn't been on these platforms, I wouldn't have mm -hmm. been exposed to. So that's something that I'm very grateful for. Yeah, I think this would be a really long conversation if we wanted to get really into it. I have an hour long video I did on this with Temperance, Olivia and Nike. This is a really nuanced topic and very hard to explain quickly. Uh, but Basically, online communities have the same risk as in-person communities. Vet them carefully. Look up the bite model. I'd recommend watching that hour-long video. There's no way we can explain this huge thing that has such heavy implications so quickly, in my opinion. I think it's, I think on a simple note, it's really healthy to enter this with a, 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 a good healthy amount of skepticism. I'm Some people might call a skeptical witch. <laughs> you know, I think starting from a place of you don't have to prove it to me, but I'm not just going to accept your word as gospel right away. I want to do some research. I want to look into this. Um, if someone tells me um, they want to do a reading for free and then I find out that I have a curse on me and they'll charge me $400 to remove the curse, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's going to be a scammer and there's always going to be people looking for something like that. So um, actually, I think I, I think I actually saw that on that video. With, with with you, Georgina, and 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 Olivia and Temperance, and um, I think just the healthiest starting point is to be skeptical. If people are trying to offer you a bunch of free stuff, um, there are some wonderfully nice people, uh, but this is still an online community. The same rules apply no matter what we're talking about. Also, on the hint of skepticism, it needs to be a healthy amount. If it's too much, it's going to be a conspiracy theory. And you're just gonna be like those anti-vax people and if it's not it's gonna become a cult and you're just gonna start praising um, some content creator that's right cult of cthulhu comes back again <laughs> um i i agree yeah and i think that goes back to the whole uh upg um uh being passed off as law or like the only way to do things and that's something that um, you, you should look out for, especially if you are looking for a coven or a mentor, is making sure that they are somebody who encourages your research and not just tells you 
to this is the only way to do things this is how you do it like don't go looking for any other sources like that's probably one of the biggest red flags <laughs> i'd like to hear some uh our guests thoughts or takeaways for our listeners sure um I think some really great takeaways from this would be to start off if you're if you're new at this um, and you're new at being online, don't accept everything you see as gospel. Do a lot of research. I think it's okay to healthily go into things with a little bit of skepticism and then and then open yourself up and let your practice evolve just because you learn one thing today does not mean in, in a few weeks from now you'll learn another thing that will totally contradict it and that it's wrong. It just means it may not be for you. Um, in general, if you are a content creator, try to take little things like um, uh, maybe either your exact location or your last name or try to be safe about it. If you are a creator out there, just try to take healthy measures physically in the mundane world and in the magical world. My final thoughts are to always cross-check, do your research, don't rely exclusively on social media, enjoy social media, but know that it is not everything, and it is not the only place that the esoteric exists. Uh, you can find me under DotDarling on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Patreon, and you can find me at Occultism with a Side of Salt on YouTube, Spotify, and Patreon. You can find me at Witch of Southern Light on TikTok, on Instagram, and on Patreon, and hopefully soon, YouTube. Um, you can find me on Instagram and YouTube at The Witch from the North. And you can find me on Instagram at Lancel the Island Witch, and Lancel Lee on Twitter, T-H-E.